Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, it's, a, it's awesome. Justin did a great job. Let's give it up for him. He, 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 and, I, <laughs> he and I have something in common today. Uh, we, we can't really sing. Uh, and, and I'm having a hard time talking, and so I apologize for drinking uh, during the message. It's one of my pet peeves. I hate it when speakers drink uh, while they speak. I, I'm sure some of you don't care about it all, but I do. So I apologize to those of you who I'm going to offend with that this morning. But um, anyway, I'm just so thankful for Justin, for Evan, and for Brittany, um, and for Brian for being here today and for doing a great job leading us in worship. They're just awesome. Great team to work with. And everybody else who's a part of that team that is not... Uh, up here today. They're just su- such an awesome uh, blessing to work with. But anyway, this morning, I- I'm just so excited to be with you in the middle of this series uh, talking about work. And last week, Pastor Chris mentioned something that uh, he wants want to make sure I pointed out. And that is, uh, he gave a challenge that if anybody would find the word retire in the Bible, he would give them 50 bucks. Okay. And uh, somebody did find the word retire in the Bible, and that's because in the translation, the the New International Version translation in the NLT, which is what uh, we use actually here, in Numbers chapter 8, verse 25, I think, it says that the Levitical priests were to retire at the age of 50 and work no more. And so uh, when, if you did a, a search on your phone, which is what I did, um, I pulled up my phone and looked on version and searched for the word retire, and I found it on Saturday night, and I forgot to tell Chris. <laughs> I was like, dang it. So, uh, so somebody beat me to it the next day. Uh, actually, Mariah Lilly came in and showed Chris, hey, Chris, it's in here. So um, Chris, just so you know, Chris is paying up, okay? Chris is paying up. But the interesting thing is, uh, when you look at that context of the passage, when you read the next verse, it says that they are to work no more in that role, but that they are to continue to work to help to guard the, uh, the Levitical priests. And so they didn't stop working, they just changed their work. Okay, so Chris is still good. The, the idea of retirement's not in the Bible. It's definitely not in the New Testament. So uh, we just wanted to point that out to all of you. But it, Chris was really, really happy. Three people actually came up and said, hey, I found the word retire. And so for us, that's great because that means people are digging into their words. So that's, that's an awesome thing. But anyway, so this week we're going to continue our series on work. And uh, th- I had the pleasure, the opportunity to talk this week to the staff uh, during our staff Bible study. And, and during that time, I shared with them something that is very, very important. When it comes to the Bible, we need to know what the Bible says, not what we think it says. Okay, that's what I shared with the staff this week because the staff, you know, we we oversee uh, all of the teaching here that's happened, you know, from the time the baby is born until all of you, okay, or maybe even at your funeral we'll, we'll be doing that possibly. So we are teaching and training, and so we need to know as a staff what the Bible says, not what we think it says. And that's true not just for the staff, but it's true for all of us in here today. And I shared with the staff that there are basically two approaches when it comes to reading Scripture. And the first approach is known as eisegesis. And what eisegesis is, just a big word that means... I guess it's not that big of a word, but it sounds big and cool. So it's a word that means you're throwing your own presuppositions or your own ideas onto the text in order to make the text say what you think that it means or what you want it to mean. 
Okay, that is extremely dangerous because now that puts us as the judge over what Scripture says. And lots and lots of people have done this uh, throughout history. We all know of people who have taken the Word of God out of context and have applied it and taught other people and people have fallen into horrible, horrible situations. So that is an extremely dangerous process. Eisegesis is an extremely dangerous process. Instead, we need to practice what's known as exegesis. And exegesis simply means we're looking at the text and we are being critical. We're pulling out exactly what the text means. Let me give you the exact definition. Exegesis is a critical explanation or interpretation of a text, particularly a religious text. So what that means is we look at the Bible and we ask the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? What did it mean to the people who the the Bible was originally written to? What are the principles that are timeless, that are true, that are applicable for us? And what does it mean for us now in our lives? That's what exegesis is. And that's what Pastor Chris and I and and, uh, Pastor Jane and Pastor Mark, we all seek to do that whenever we teach anywhere, but particularly up here. And that's exactly what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some scriptures and we're going to see what God has to say about work and how it applies into our life. And we started last week with Pastor Chris sharing four purposes for our work. Now, I want to encourage you, if you missed that message, please go online because it is a very powerful message. It was extremely powerful. Uh, You can go on to newlifexn.org and watch it, or you can, if you have an iPhone, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast um, through the podcast app. And every week, the new message will just come right in there, and you can listen to it in your car or wherever you like to listen to that kind of thing. But listen to that message. Briefly, though, before I get into what I'm going to be sharing today, I want to just review what Pastor Chris said. Now, Pastor Chris said there are four primary purposes for our work, and the first one is a paycheck, okay? It's a paycheck. The Scripture tells us that we need to provide for our family, And so the lowest level of work, the lowest purpose of work is simply a paycheck. We work to pay the bills, right? You know, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's what happens, right? Because we don't have money. We can't buy food. We can't do that kind of thing. And so uh, we have to work to provide for our family. So that's the lowest purpose is a paycheck. The next highest purpose uh, is passion. And here's the verse that Pastor Chris shared with us from Ecclesiastes 5.19. He said, and it is good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. So at this level, we desire to reach a certain standard of living. We desire to enjoy what God has done in our lives and using our gifts and abilities to earn money, to provide for our families, and to enjoy a passion, uh, to enjoy that together. So then the next level or the next purpose was philanthropy. So we have paycheck, that's the lowest level, then we have passion, and then we have philanthropy. And philanthropy simply means this, that we start to make enough money where we're blessed and then we can go ahead and bless other people. You've probably heard somebody say, we're blessed to be a blessing. Okay, that's absolutely true, especially if you're a believer or a disciple Jesus in here today. That's absolutely true because we have to pass on the message of Jesus. But also it applies practically in our lives financially. If we've been blessed financially, then we need to bless other people with that. We need to be uh, philanthropists. And so this is the, the verse that Pastor Chris shared from 1 Peter. He said this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. 
So God has given us spiritual gifts to bless other people, and God has given us natural gifts and abilities to bless other people and to use them for the church. So that's an awesome thing. Philanthropist, become a philanthropist. And then the fourth purpose for our work in advancing uh, the kingdom, is advancing, I'm rather, rather, the kingdom of God. It's the purposes of God. And this is what Pastor Chris shared from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Now this is really where we're going to kind of dig in today. In the purposes of God. Why, why do we work? What do we do when we work? What is actually happening? And maybe a better question, what is actually supposed to be happening when we're working here on the earth? That's what we're going to look at today. Okay, This isn't a message on tithing. This is a message on how do we take this, this big chunk of our life, which is work, and apply it in the way God wants us to apply it. And so what I've done is I titled today's message, Remarkable Work. Remarkable Work, because the Lord has given all of us remarkable work to do. In fact, that's our take-home point for today. Our take-home point says this, God gives us remarkable work to do. God gives us remarkable work to do. And I know what some of you are thinking, not in my job. <laughs> not in my job. No way. But I think after we're done today, we'll all understand and we'll all see that we all have remarkable work to do no matter what we do here on the earth. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you right now, open it up to Genesis chapter 2. That's going to be our focus or a key scripture for today. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15, and we're going to see some some very important things today from this passage. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 15. If you have a, a phone or an iPad, you can pull that out and open up your Version app or your favorite Bible app and navigate to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Here's what it says. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Now this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow, grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where, there is gold, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can open it up, we can read it, and that we can see what you have to say, not what we think is in there. God, I pray that you will teach us today. I pray that you'll show us what it means to follow you. 
when it comes to this area of work in our life. We love you. We trust you that you'll do a great work today in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at verse number 15 in a, in a different translation. This is the NLTU. I want to look at the ESV translation, which is a little more, a little more of a direct translation from the original Hebrew. And uh, this is what the ESV says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. So you see, ever since the beginning of time, God had a purpose for our work. In fact, the interesting thing is, is that in in this account of Genesis, we read that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God, the very image of God. And one of the amazing things about God is that he works. In fact, did you see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2? Here's what it says. On the seventh day, God had finished his what? Work of creation. So he rested from all of his what? work. God is a worker. We're made in his image. And so that transfers to us. We also are workers. God created this beautiful garden. He put the man in it to work it and to care for it. And another translation says to cultivate it. Cultivate it means that we actually care. We invest. We give all that we can to see that the job is done well. We take care of the garden. We work the garden. But you see, this work that Adam was doing wasn't just work. It was remarkable work because God does remarkable work. And so when God does remarkable work, then we too have remarkable work to do. God created this beautiful garden. It reflected God's glory. And he put the man in there. And the man who was made in the very image of God was put in the garden to work the garden. It was all for the glory of God. It was all to lift the name of God high. It was also that God would receive praise. You see, work, first and foremost for us, is a glorious thing. It's meant to be satisfying. It's meant to be fulfilling. And it's meant, most of all, to be purposeful. God gave a purpose for Adam to work the garden, to tend it, to cultivate it, to care for it. God gave a very specific purpose for the glory of God. So why in our lives then is work oftentimes dreadful and horrible? Why do we experience work in ways that are not fulfilling or not satisfying? It seems purposeless. In fact, you could even say sometimes it just seems meaningless. Sometimes it seems like the lowest ream, like I'm just paying the bills. That's all I'm doing. Why is that? Well, actually, Scripture tells us why that is. In Genesis chapter 3, actually the next chapter, we read something absolutely detrimental that happens, and that is this, that Adam and Eve were in a perfect relationship with God. They were doing the work God had created them each to do, and it was glorifying to God. But God gave them one command. Don't eat from the tree of life, or don't, I'm sorry, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along and Satan deceives Eve and Adam passively allows Eve to eat the fruit and then he participates by eating the fruit. And in that moment, in that moment, sin entered the world. 
Now, sin is simply this. It's the breaking or the transgression of divine law, stepping outside of the will of God. It was not the will of God for Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We know that. God said, don't eat this. This is my will. Don't eat from this tree. And yet Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Sin came into the world, and because sin came into the world, because God is absolutely holy and perfect and there's nothing wrong in him, he had to judge sin. So there were consequences to sin. And here's one of the things, one of the consequences to that sin in Genesis 3:17. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Sound familiar? It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you, which you were made. For you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. So we learn that in the beginning, God created everything. It was good. God said it was good. It was perfect. Work was perfect. Work was fulfilling, satisfying, purposeful. We gave God glory in our work. But then sin comes into the world, and all of a sudden work gets hard. It's not so easy now to eat from the tree that you have to take care of, that you have to make sure the, the weeds don't come up and the worms don't eat the fruit. You have to make sure now that you're going to have to work hard in order to get what you need to get to live. Now, that doesn't just transfer, because now we're thinking in terms of farming, but in our world, we're very industrialized, and now we're, a lot of us are working in offices, and we're writing things, and we're taking care of numbers, and we're doing all of this kind of stuff, and yet we still experience sometimes scratching by, just scratching by, just, just making it. And I really just don't like my job. I really am struggling right now. I feel like I'm not making any kind of a difference, and, and I, I get it. I really get it. Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pastor, okay? I get to do what I love to do. God wired me to do this. God called me to do this. But there are days when I go, God, am I even making any kind of a difference? Am I, am I doing anything that is meaningful? Okay? I struggle with that just like all of you struggle with that. Okay? And th what that is is that's sin trying to get a foothold in our life. Because what sin did when it came into the world is it distorted what God had for all of us. It distorted the glory of God. Now, we can't give God glory naturally. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are enemies of God in our natural state. Therefore, we cannot naturally give God glory. And so our work, the purpose of our work, the enjoyment, the fulfillment of our work is really hard. Because we don't naturally want to give glory to God. We don't naturally want to say thank you to God for the work that we actually have. And so we struggle. We go through life grumbling and complaining, and talking about our boss or the other people that are just frustrating us or whatever it is. We struggle. And yet, I'm up here today telling all of you that God has given all of us remarkable work to do. So how do these two connect? Because everything was perfect and then everything got wrecked by sin. So how does God then give us remarkable work to do? How does he do? What does he do? Well, he does it through Jesus. And today I want to share with you three specific points of how God gives us remarkable work to do through Jesus. The first one is simply this. Through Jesus, God restores our relationship to himself. 
Through Jesus, God restores our relationship to himself. Jesus said this in John 15, 15. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So you see, the Bible says we're born enemies of God. We're actually born hating God. We don't naturally want to love God. We don't naturally want to bring him glory. That's why a lot of times our jobs stink because we're not focusing on the right thing. But you see, through Jesus, who lived the life that we couldn't live, lived a perfect, sinless life, he met the standard of God. There was no sin in his life. Therefore, Jesus was right and righteous before God. And only Jesus could do it because he was fully man and fully God. Jesus lived that perfect life, and then he went and died a criminal's death on the cross. So even though Jesus was perfect and sinless and blameless, he died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. And three days later, after he was buried, he was raised back to life again by the power of God. And he now offers us his life, and we receive his life very simply by believing in him. The Apostle Paul says it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It was God's grace to send Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we should have died, and then raise him back to life, offering us eternal life forever with him. But not only did Jesus offer us eternal life, now we are restored to God. Our relationship is no longer broken because now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus and now we can be in perfect relationship with God. We can be in a, a good relationship. We can be in this relationship that where we can know what God wants us to do. Because you see, in our natural state, we don't know what God wants us to do. We don't know that there is remarkable work that God has given us to do. But now, if we have trusted Jesus, we can know that. Because look what Jesus said. I don't call you servants because a servant does not know his master's plans. But Jesus said, I have taught you, I have given you everything that I have learned from the Father. And one of the things that we learn is that God has given us remarkable work to do. No matter what we actually do on the earth, God has given us remarkable work. Well, you might say, well, Pastor Brad, how exactly does that happen? Well, let me read it to you, what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. Here's what he said. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So now we are made right with God. He's declared an end to sin in our life through Jesus, and we receive His life. We receive a new life in Him. And we can know now that God has given us remarkable work to do. And that's the second point. Through Jesus, God gives us remarkable work to do. Not only do we learn it from Jesus, but we also receive it through Jesus. Here's what He said. In, in Paul said in Ephesians 1, 4 and 2, 10. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
For we are God's handiwork. Everybody say that. We are God's handiwork. Okay? We're not our boss's handiwork. We're not our spouse's handiwork. We're not even our kid's handiwork. Sometimes that happens. And our kids aren't even our handiwork. We are the handiwork of God. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's what remarkable work is. It's the participation and completion of the good works God has given us to do through Jesus. That's what remarkable work is. It's to participate with God and complete the good works that God has given us to do even before the foundations of the earth were laid. God had good works for you and for me to do. He had good works for all of us to do. And what did the work do in the garden? The work brought glory to God, right? And so now, when we are made right through Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, you've been made right through him. Now, the purpose of your work, what you do in your life when you work, is to glorify God and to do the remarkable work that God has given you to do. That's what we are all called to do. We're all called to do this remarkable work. Now, this is really where the rubber hits the road for, for those of us who believe and trust in Jesus. And what I want to do is I just want to present a question today that will help us maybe understand this a little bit more, okay? When God created the garden and he created the man, there's a question that kind of comes out of this. And here's the question. Did God create the garden for the man or the man for the garden? Did God create the garden for the man or the man for the garden? And it, it connects with us in this way, in our work, in our actual things that we go and do or we might work at home or whatever that is. For us, let's ask this question. Did God create the work for us, the work for the man or the woman, or the man and woman for the work? Which was it? Which is it? Because this is really important. The answer is actually both. Both. And here's why. In Genesis chapter 2, it said that God created this beautiful garden, but there was no man to tend for it. And then God created the man, and he put the, garden in, he put the man in the garden to tend it and work it. So here's, here's the thing. The garden, the creation, cannot thrive unless the man and the woman work it. And on the other side of that, the man and the woman cannot thrive unless they work the garden, right? Because if the garden does not thrive, then there's no food. There's no provision. So we have to work in order to gain the provision. And yet we have to work in order that the gardens in our life, the work in our life, we have to work in order that we can enjoy, and it will enjoy the creation, keep the creation rolling the way that it's supposed to go. So we have to, it's both. We have to work the garden, and the garden then works for us, okay? Now, the garden is whatever work it is in your life. We have to do it, and, and you see, that's why so many of us, we think that in, our, our jobs are not important, but actually they are, because if nobody did your job, something wouldn't get done that needs to get done here. And I know it's kind of hard to, to you know, say, man, Brad, I, I, just, I just crunch numbers and I push papers. That's all I do. That's all I do. That's all I do. I understand that. But your job is still really important. 
Okay? And I'm not saying that that's the, the remarkable work that God has for you, but it's part of the remarkable work that God has for you because while you are pushing those papers and crunching those numbers, we need to be doing them and so bringing glory to God. In fact, I want to say it this way. God most often uses us to do remarkable work in unremarkable ways. God most often uses us to do remarkable work in unremarkable ways. Okay, I know this firsthand. Because my wife stays at home with our kids. Okay? If there's anything that seems unremarkable, it's staying home with kiddos. It's hard. It's challenging. There are days when you want a punching bag. Right? I mean, I have to sometimes stay home with the kids for like six hours and it's hard. You know, we've got three kids. And it's, and it's just awesome blessing of God. But some days my wife is just like, man... You know, honey, I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels. And I, and I say, honey, I know, but the work that you're doing is remarkable. In fact, I want to say it another way. God, God often uh, does extraordinary things through us in very ordinary and sometimes mundane ways. Because even though my wife is working with our children every day and every day and we're working on the same thing, don't touch that, don't do that, get your hand out of there, you know, leave the cat alone, you know, this kind of thing. As we're going through all of these things and we're teaching our kids, you know, Marcus, be kind and loving to your sister. Don't step on your brother. You know, these kinds of things, especially as he's getting older, he's not listening very well. And anyway, um, so, you know, you seem like you're repeating yourself over and over and over and over again. But then one day when you look back and you say, wow, they're thriving. They're thriving in this world. Why is that? Because we're investing time in them, in ordinary, mundane, absolutely boring ways. You see, that's most of the time how God does his remarkable work. And, and some of you might be thinking, but Brad, what about like, like Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs was awesome. He's done remarkable things. And, and you know what? That's absolutely true. But do you know that Steve Jobs did an awful lot of work to get where he was before he passed away? He worked his tail off. He did mundane, boring, stupid things until one day it all came together and it clicked. And now we have this beautiful thing we call Apple, which comes straight down from heaven. <laughs> but you see, Steve Jobs did what it took to get there. Now, Steve Jobs was not a Christian. In fact, he very much denied uh, following Jesus at all. But Steve Jobs understood that in order to receive the provision, we have to do the things we don't always want to do. So God most often uses us to do remarkable work in unremarkable ways. So here's what I want to say to you. If you're a mom staying home with your kids, don't give up. Keep going. Keep plugging away. Keep investing in your children. If you're a dad who's going to work every day to provide for your family and you're working in a job that you hate for a boss you don't even like, I want you to keep plugging away. And remember, remember that you're doing the work for the glory of God. Okay? You're not doing the work for yourself. You're doing the work for the glory of God. Keep going. If you're a single mom and you're scraping, just scraping by, you're doing everything that you can, keep going because the work you're doing is remarkable. Whatever your position is, wherever you find yourself in life, just trust Jesus, even when it seems like it's boring, it's mundane, it's stupid, 
All of this is for the reason that God gives to us this remarkable work that he has. So let me get a little bit more practical even. God gives us specific gifts and abilities to use for his glory. I'm really sorry I'm drinking so much. My mouth just keeps drying out, and it's, it tastes like cotton, and I hate cotton. Cotton balls, I mean. Ugh. All right, Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to read this to you, and I want you to just get this picture in your mind of what God is doing. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. It's just a person, okay? I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is the master of every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded you to make, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand, the pure gold lampstands with all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the wash basin with its stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsman must make everything as I have commanded you. Now, those craftsmen were doing something unbelievable. They were doing something remarkable. They were creating the tabernacle for God's presence to dwell with his people. It was absolutely remarkable what they were doing. But do you think, as that master craftsman sat there, and I don't know if they saw it, but we'll just pretend, they're sawing this wood, and they're thinking, wow, I'm doing remarkable work. <laughs> no! They're not thinking that. They're like, man, I wish this day would end. Whoo, it's hot out here. Right? They're not thinking, they probably weren't thinking, you know, yes, I'm a master craftsman and all, every work I'm, I do is amazing. No, they were doing each small piece, but when each small piece worked together and that tabernacle was finished, do you know what happened? God filled that place with his presence. So you see, in our jobs, in our, in our real practical jobs, the things that we do, it matters the work that we do. It matters because it brings God where we are. We work for Jesus, no matter where we go. No matter what we do, no matter how boring or mundane it might seem. Listen to this. This is awesome, okay? I think it is. In the beginning, God gave Adam another job. After he was tending the garden, God gave him a different job as well to do, and that was to name the animals. Okay, and as each animal came by, Adam said, horse, lion, I'm going to come back to you, giraffe, elephant, okay? So he's going through and he's naming all of these animals, okay? And as he's naming all of these animals, little does he know that in the last book that would be written in the Bible that shows visions of heaven, that there would be animals up there that he named, What's Jesus coming back on? Those of you who have read your Bible and you know it, what's Jesus coming back on? A horse. Who named the horse? According to the Bible, Adam named the horse. Or at least laid the foundation for it. So when Adam, who's in heaven now, 
When Adam's in heaven and he sees a horse, he went, I named that. You see, here's the point. Not only does our work bring the presence of God where we are, our work also is eternal. It matters for eternity. Because our work now, because Jesus has come, has to, is to be a witness no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. We work hard, we work well, so that we can be a testimony of God's work in our life, what Jesus has done for us. So you see, that's, that's really where the rubber hits the road, because when we get to heaven, we'll be like, wow, they're here. Why are you here? Well, because you did this where you worked, and because I saw that you cared and you loved, and you, I know that probably it seemed like you know, you loved our boss even when everybody else hated him, right? So you respected him. You stood up. You admitted when you were wrong. I thought that was kind of crazy. But then I realized that that's exactly what I needed, and I needed what you had. So that is extremely important. Here's the last thing. Through Jesus, our work becomes worship then. Through Jesus, our work becomes worship. Now, in our lives, there are three primary areas that we live. We live uh, where we work. We, we do what we do. We also worship something. And that is the things that we enjoy. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time, a lot of money on the things that we worship. And I was trying to do an alliteration. So I was like, work, worship, and love. Okay? But that doesn't really work very well unless you're home star runner. Because he would be like, worship and love. Right? But, but that's not it. Okay? It's love. It's relationships. Right? We spend a lot of time in our life in work. We spend a lot of the time of our life in worship. We enjoy things. We spend a lot of time in our life in relationships. And in these three areas, it's amazing. We hear a ton of messages on relationships. We hear a ton of messages on worship. We need to worship God and put him in his rightful place. But very seldom do we hear a message on the other third part of our life. Sometimes it's actually more than a third of our life. Work. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, I want you to hear this very thing. We need to come at work as an act of worship before God. And here's what Pastor Chris shared this last week. And we're going to finish out with this. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. So turn to your neighbor and say this. Jesus is my boss. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Nuh-uh, he's my boss. <laughs> Jesus is my boss. If you have put your faith in Jesus, Jesus is your boss too. That means that we work for Jesus. We don't work for our human boss. I don't work for Chris Marshall at New Life. I work for Jesus at New Life. You don't work for your boss. You don't work for your spouse. You don't work for your kids. You work for for Jesus. Jesus is my boss. I thought it'd be so awesome if we put this on Twitter. So if you have Twitter, if you don't have Twitter, get Twitter, okay? It's the 21st century, all right? So if you don't have Twitter, get Twitter and at least put this up there, okay? Hashtag Jesus is my boss, okay? You can do it on Facebook too. It's just not as cool, all right? Facebook is kind of for old people like me. Um, <laughs> so Jesus is my boss. Everywhere you go, Jesus is my boss. And if you don't use Facebook or Twitter or something, write it down on a piece of paper and put it on your car window, okay? It's not the hippest way, but it's cool. All right, Jesus is my boss. Jesus is my boss. Everybody say that one more time. Jesus is my boss. 
No matter where you go, you serve and work for Jesus. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does that look like? What does that look like? It looks like this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve us and serve other people. We are called to serve. So when we are in a situation that we don't like for working for a person we don't care for at all, we need to serve. And when we serve, when it's boring, when it's mundane, when it hurts, we know that God's doing a remarkable work because he will continue to do remarkable work through us as we continue to give him the glory because he is our boss. Here's the commitment for today. I will do the remarkable work God has planned for me this week. Maybe the remarkable work that God has planned for you this week is to make a phone call to somebody that you need to make a phone call to. Maybe it's to go to your boss and say, you know what, I've been a jerk to you and I'm sorry. Because you're not my boss, Jesus is. I don't know, maybe, maybe don't say that, all right? <laughs> that might backfire. But, but go to your boss and say, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I've said some things I shouldn't have said. And I want your forgiveness. And if you still have a job, praise God. Okay? So we work for Jesus. We don't work for any human master. So go out of here this week doing the remarkable work that God has for you to do through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are so good. Thank you that your love is steadfast, that it endures forever. And God, today I pray that we will understand what it means to truly work for you and not for other people. God, today I pray for all of us in here who maybe have been struggling in our lives. I pray right now a blessing over them in the name of Jesus that you would release in them right now.